On today's episode of the Training Peaks Coachcast, your source for the latest information about the art, science, and business of coaching. Every athlete comes with unique experiences and levels of knowledge, and as a coach, it can be easy to assume they are more prepared than they actually are. Are you setting your new athletes up for success? Hey guys, Dave Shell here. This week, Cody and I sat down with Andrew Simmons and Taylor Thomas to discuss some of the common pitfalls of being a coach. I know that I personally have made the mistake oftentimes when taking on a new athlete and just assuming that they know things only to find out down the road that maybe I could have explained things a little bit more clearly. And so Taylor, Cody, Andrew, and I talked about what are some of the things we've experienced and ways we can overcome that and avoid it in the future. Hope you enjoy. Okay, thanks for joining us today on the Training Peaks Coachcast. Today we have two special guests, Andrew Simmons from Lifelong Endurance Coaching and Taylor Thomas from Thomas Endurance Coaching. And we also have Cody Stevenson, the education specialist here at Training Peaks. Before we get started, I just want to um, have Andrew and Taylor give a little bit better introduction. Andrew? Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Um, excited to be here. Andrew Simmons, uh, own a coaching company, Lifelong Endurance. Uh, I've been uh, endurance coaching now for going on six, seven years. I uh, work primarily with runners, but our business as a whole coaches triathletes, mountain bikers, uh, but a good portion of those are going to be endurance runners, ultra marathoners, and uh, you know everything from mile and beyond. Cool. And just real quick before we um, get to Taylor, how did you start coaching? You used to be an engineer, correct? Yeah, yeah. Used to be an industrial engineer, so used to play a lot with uh, robots and other fun stuff, and now uh, work with endurance athletes. So uh, endurance athletes talk more. It makes it more fun. Uh, <laughs> Very cool. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for your time. Yeah. Um, Taylor, if you could tell us, tell us a little bit more about yourself, please. Uh, I'm the head coach and uh, founder of Thomas Endurance Coaching, or uh, TEC as some folks know it. Um, personally, I specialize, uh, in working with, uh, ultra endurance athletes. So ultra marathoners and, uh, and ultra distance cyclists. Um, and then, uh, as a, uh, as a coaching group, uh, we work with, uh, athletes from A to Z, uh, triathletes, um, runners, mountain bikers, uh, road cyclists, and kind of, uh, every discipline, uh, do some, uh, some, some alpine athletes as well, mountaineering and, cross-country skiing, Nordic skiing, things like that. So um, kind of run the gamut as, uh, as a coaching group. But yeah, I, uh, I've been coaching now for a decade or so, and it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And it's, it's all I know how to do now. So <laughs> it's, uh, it keeps me on my toes. And what were you doing before you started coaching? Uh, coaching? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, uh, I've done a handful of things. I've always been uh, kind of in the endurance sports uh, world, uh, I raced mountain bikes full time for a number of years. Uh, worked for a couple a couple of uh, industry companies, uh, Trek and Specialize, and did some different things for uh, for those folks. Um, but uh, but yeah, kind of just parlayed that experience early in my career into uh, into coaching, and then uh, the coaching side of things and the coaching business has grown uh, over the years. And so so yeah, so. From primarily for most of my career, I've been uh, a coach in some capacity. But um, yeah, always been around endurance sports, both uh, from the athlete side and kind of the industry side. 
so yeah, like I said, it's it's all I know how to do now. So I've I've I've, I've pigeonholed myself into uh, into coaching, which is which is great. Uh, it's always it's fun. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us and um, taking the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite. As I mentioned, Cody Stevenson is our education specialist here at Training Peaks, but he also um, coaches some people. So Cody, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm Cody Stevenson, education specialist at Training Peaks. Uh, I do a little bit of coaching mountain bike racers, road racers on the side, but I do a little more um, what might be called consulting work with experienced athletes or coaches who are looking to learn how to use technology and data a little bit better in their coaching business. And just a little bit about um, me and my coaching. I've been coaching for around nine years or so, and I started. I personally started off as a triathlete. Now I race mountain bikes, but I've coached um, triathletes, cyclists, and mountain bikers. And today um, I asked these fine coaches here because the other day I had an experience with an athlete, and I thought it was a pretty good topic that I think other coaches could learn from. Um, so I started coaching an athlete last year for the Leadville, uh, trail 100 and over, he was brand new to mountain biking and over six weeks, he, he kept telling me that his butt was hurting and things like this. And eventually what it, what we realized was that he was riding in gym shorts. And so I was beating myself up because it was such an obvious thing, but it just never came up because I took it for granted that why would he be riding in gym shorts? Same athlete, um, fast forward to last week, um, it's the off season. He wants to do some swimming in the off season now. And so I wrote him a swim workout and he uploads to training peaks and tells me how hard it was. And I said, okay, well, why don't you send me some video of you swimming and we can take a look at your technique and we can work on that. And so he sent me the video, um, two days ago and I open it and he's swimming without goggles with his head above the water. And so it's just one of those things. And, and I imagine that other coaches maybe, if not to this extent, they might deal with this a little bit, is that when you've been coaching for a while or when you've been in the endurance world for a while, we kind of take some of these things for granted um, with newer athletes. And when we say newer athletes, it might be somebody who's new to endurance sport or it might be somebody who's new to you. Maybe they even, maybe they've been coached. And so we take it for granted that this other coach has told them about these things. And so we never address it. And so invited you guys all here today so we could just kind of talk about what are maybe some of these things that we take for granted and how can we avoid falling into that trap. Have any of you experienced the, a similar situation? Andrew, you're kind of nodding, so why don't you yeah. tell us? Um, so part of the work I do is not just with adults but also with youth, which carries its own level of, I guess, humor that kind of comes with it. But, um, you know, anecdotally, you you're really starting at the very base with some of these athletes. And so they have no concept of pace or things like that. And you tell them, Hey, you know, this should be like an eight out of 10 and it's like 11 out of 10, <laughs> you know? And so it's kind of, you have to kind of give them a baseline to kind of work with. And so I think that's kind of, um, one of the things that I've learned is that I have to take a backseat to what I know versus what the athlete that I'm working with knows. And I think that's, that kind of fits right, right in with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Last year, I got to take part in making a documentary called Project Y about why people do races like Dirty Kansas, the 200-mile gravel race in Kansas. And so I got to coach a five-person team, um, all experienced cyclists at some level. One of them was a Cat 1 road racer. Other one ran a touring business. Um, they all had ridden bikes a lot. 
maybe not necessarily gone through structured training. And so I gave them very loose training plans, usually two goal rides to complete each week. And then I figured they could just fill in the rest. But since we were using training peaks, I had to put those goal rides on specific days. But I thought I made it clear that they could work those around their schedule however they wanted. And so one of the rides I put for one of the girls on the team was a nine-hour ride, like an important like prep ride. And she wrote in Training Peak saying it was super hard. She almost didn't finish. It was crazy. And it seemed that it was harder than it should have been. So I asked her why. And she said it was just pouring rain all day. It was freezing cold. It was just the wrong day to do it. She'd crashed her mountain bike the day before. But then the next day, it was a beautiful day. And she didn't ride at all. So I was wondering why she didn't just move her ride to the next day, knowing that the weather would be better. And she thought those workouts were so special and specific, they had to land on specific days. So we can take for granted schedule modification. We can take for granted just making a workout work around life or making a weekly schedule work around your life and doing little tweaks here and there. But I think that's a more experienced uh, technique than maybe we give some athletes credit for knowing how to do. Well, I, I think part of that's tough too, because they part of the reason they're hiring a coach is because they want somebody to take care of that for them. But I think it is so important to involve the athlete in that and educate them so that you empower them. Because one, so that that you're not constantly getting those texts asking what should I do. But two, maybe they don't always need to work with the coach, or maybe not in the same capacity. And so eventually you pull back, and even though you're writing the workouts, maybe. They know, okay, well, if I can't do this, these are the primary workouts I need to do. They don't know what they don't know, right? Like there's – what do they know? And so you have to investigate that and ask – you have to ask silly questions. Right, right. And so – Or so it feels like it. And I'll come back to that because that brings up a good point. And Taylor, I think you had something you were going to share as well. Yeah, I mean I think it just kind of – I mean we've all had similar experiences, you know, it sounds like. And I I think you kind of have to – you know, if you've been if you've been in endurance sports for a while, or if you've been in coaching for a while, you you kind of have to put your, you know, uh, your preconceptions or, or what you take for granted, you know, kind of on the to the side or on the on the back burner when you start to work. You know, maybe maybe with in my experience, it's it's been with you know almost with with any athlete. You know, even even athletes that have come to me that have been really experienced and just like Cody was just talking about, like you know, you, you just assume that they, they know all these things. And, and if they're coming from a different background or a different set of experiences, and then they begin to work with you and you have a certain, you know, style or, or workflow or the way that you present, you know, training and, you know, all that you kind of take for granted and, and, you know, to, to come to find out, you know, they don't, they don't know what's going on. And, you know, I mean, I had a similar experience or, uh, you know, I guess just as an example, an athlete that I've been working with for a little while now and, um, he's got some experience, didn't have a lot of experience with structured training, but he was doing his workouts. And, uh, so I, on the bike, I, uh, every athlete that I work with trains with power and that's kind of what I specialize in. And so I, you know, we're, we're going through and riding power-based workouts and he's doing a really good job. And, but his feedback is always really negative. He's just like, Oh, you know, I, I didn't do a good job. I, you know, it, it, I'm sorry. You know, he was really apologetic and I, you know, so this went on for a couple of weeks and of course I was, I was like, man, the workout looks great. And he's, he's taken all these interval sessions outside and he's doing a really good job of, you know, hitting these workouts. Well, come to find out, I, we finally, you know, I, I get him on the phone and he, he thought that he had to, so, you know, if the prescription was, you know, 235 watts, he thought if he didn't, if it wasn't exactly 235 watts the entire time that, that he failed. 
and you know he was he was within like five or ten watts you know for like a 15 minute interval you know from an from an average power perspective and the normalized power was within you know a couple of watts of that and i was like man you know we're we're right here like you know we're we're 100 within range and uh and so you know yeah it's just that again that, that idea that you know he didn't have anything to to any experience to to draw upon and so he just he looked at the workout and I was prescribing a range, but, you know, he thought if he didn't hit the top end, it was a failure. Um, and so we got past that, you know, and of course, I mean, if nothing else, I guess that led to really, you know, great execution on his workouts. He's, he, he does a really good job of, of hitting his numbers now, now that he knows he's not disappointed, but yeah, it's just interesting. You know, you, I thought that he was doing great and I was so impressed and the whole time, you know, this went on for like maybe, you know, 10 days or two weeks he's just really down on himself and, and, <laughs> and, uh, we, 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 you know, we, we solved it, but, um, yeah, just that same idea that, you know, you, you don't know, uh, you know, you don't know what they don't know. And so you kind of have to be super open-minded and, and always have that open line of communication, um, just to figure out what's going on in, in their head as well. Right. And that takes me back to the point that, um, Andrew kind of alluded to a little while ago and it's, you know, one thing I've always kind of struggled with is you don't you don't want to tell somebody a bunch of things they already know, or and you or because maybe it comes across like you're questioning their intelligence or something like that. And so, aside from that, is there are there any actions you guys have taken that um, to kind of address this, like whether it's like some sort of onboarding or something like that, where it's like, okay, anytime I take on a new athlete, here's a document that I'm going to give them that, that addresses some of these things. A full psychological workup. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, now I do, uh, I do like to kind of set a standard. I guess when I sit down with my athletes and kind of say what to expect during a week so that they kind of get an, an idea of like what the flow looks like. But like if there was an actual like FAQ, it would be hard to hit on a lot of that just because I think every athlete deserves a, a little bit of an individual, um, approach to what they get. Um, but there are definitely some things that fall in range there. So it's, it's explaining how, how, how most of my workouts are built. There's a theme or there's a, a general look to those and explaining that kind of in those first couple of weeks and making sure they understand that I think is, is crucial to not only helping them hit that, but also so that they have confidence from those first couple of weeks. Cause it's, that's a pretty make or break point when working with an athlete sometimes is you're building trust, you're building, um, rapport. And so with that, if they, if they don't understand your workouts or, you know, they, they, they misread a workout and end up doing like, you know, way more reps than they should have. They're like, well, you know, this, this was poorly written and it, and you, you end up catching, catching a lot of that fire as the coach when really it was like, oh, well that made sense to me. Right? And it, you, you only know that point of view until you get that feedback. And so I think like for me, it's, it's, it's been a constant point of learning, you know, from that. So, yeah. And I, I think that's something I think, um, at least in my experience with new athletes, we take There's a lot of jargon that we just kind of take for granted. Like I, I kind of started with triathlon. And so a lot of the stuff I, and, and learning from Joe Frill, right. And mm. reading the way he writes workouts. And so WU equals warm up and CD equals cool down. And so that's how I write my workouts. And you start working with somebody and they're like, the, their first question is what's WU. It's woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, or even like with swimming, um, descending sets, right. That like kind of take that for granted. And so it's one of those things to like catch yourself and say, okay, well, or maybe they even they've done that before, but it's never been called that. Like, think about 
running, for example. I've heard tempo intervals, cruise intervals, threshold intervals. There's so many different ways. Um, so do any of you like maybe have like a glossary of terms that you give to new athletes? I should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, I think the onboarding part of it is, is the part for me personally, as, as you know, I've grown as a coach and, and we've grown as a coaching group. That's been the biggest piece that, that, uh, that we've developed is, you know, in conjunction with, um, a really, you know, kind of just <clears throat> upfront and, and, frank conversation about where the athlete is at and, and, you know, what experiences they're, they're, you know, drawing upon, um, you know, and how that blends with, you know, like Andrew is saying, you know, how everyone has their kind of way that you write workouts or, you know, the jargon and, and language that you use. And so trying to kind of figure out how those pieces fit together. And then also, you know, for us personally, or, or us specifically, we also have, you know, fairly extensive onboarding documents, you know, it says, you know, this is what to expect, you know, responsibilities, roles, what the coaches, you know, part is going to be, what the athletes part is going to be, how all that's going to mesh together. And then, you know, there's, you know, kind of questionnaire and stuff that goes along with that. And the hope is that in, in thinking through a lot of these, or, or it kind of, you know, forces both the coach and the athlete to think through a lot of these scenarios preemptively before it causes any confusion. It doesn't totally negate these issues that we're talking about, you know, they still happen from time to time, but that's been the biggest piece for me that I've, I've been like, Oh yeah, I should, you know, I should develop some, some process and language around this because it, it's, it's a, you know, it's a stumbling block for, for coach and an athlete, especially in the first, you know, several weeks of working together. And so, you know, that's what we've tried to do. And again, you know, not to a hundred percent success, but the hope is that at least if we can kind of set the tone uh, out of the gate, then it helps to kind of eliminate some of these, you know, speed bumps that, that can happen. And then, and then just always the, you know, the communication piece, you know, just trying to be like, um, you know, unlike what I did with my last example of the athlete where I just didn't understand why he was upset, you know, <laughs> maybe at, you know, I should have asked a little sooner and been like, you know, what's, what's going on. Um, so, you know, always just being kind of open to, to the conversation side of things. And so now I want to talk about something else a little bit here. Um, also with new athletes is we just, you know, Training Peaks just released the um, perceived exertion feature so that athletes can start recording on workouts. And one thing that's something that I've always used with workouts and I like you, Taylor, um, and Andrew, I know trains with metrics too, and so does Cody, but it's, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on heart rate and pace and power and things like that, but I've also always used perceived exertion just to kind of hone in and calibrate um, that kind of internal uh, body feel with what's going on. With newer athletes, I've had a lot of trouble with that, where it's, you know, you're telling them like, it should feel a certain way and they end up going really easy or um, you ask them, how did it feel? And everything's like a 10. Cody, when he was um, training these athletes for the Dirty Konza, he had, a lot of them didn't use devices. So I imagine you had some interesting things pop up as you were trying to work off perceived exertion there. Yeah, I had to kind of pre-calibrate their sense of perceived exertion so they could give me consistent feedback. I didn't trust that they could consistently use a device for long enough that I would get meaningful data to plan training or analyze training. So I just wanted to know duration and 
their perceived intensity. So I told them like a six ride will feel like this, a seven ride will feel like this. And that's for not the hardest part of the ride. That's not for the worst part of the ride. That's for kind of the average overall. So give yourself a few minutes after and see how the whole thing is still affecting you after you get home, change and maybe eat and then see if you still feel, cause in the middle of a 10 or 12 hour ride, you're always going to hit some point where it's a 10 or it's miserable. But really what we're trying to get is how is this ride going to affect you into the future in a meaningful way? And Andrew, do you work with perceived exertion? I would imagine with the teens and the, um, the kids yeah. using that quite a bit, right? So actually in two ways. So one of them is when I'm giving a workout that's intentionally very, you know, doesn't have big boundaries. Like if I say, Hey, go out for a fart, lick, you know, something that's not designed to be a, um, you know, super specific, you know, you need to hit the, hit these paces and things like that. Where it's like yeah, 30 to 90 seconds, you know, intervals, you know, anywhere from, you know, 5k to 10k feel. And you tell somebody 5k to 10k feel, what does that, what does that mean? You know? So it's kind of like, what's their basis of knowledge? Um, when it comes to that, have they ever raced 5k? Do they know what that means? And sometimes I will give like a pace range just because I've given that in the past. And so it's like, what is my past knowledge with this specific athlete? And then how do I take that and use that to have successful future workouts with them based on, you know, one, how do they react to a workout? Oh, this wasn't that good. Or didn't feel like I could go that fast or things like that. If it's, if I get a lot of negative feedback or they don't like a workout that's designed like that, I won't use those. But when it comes to kids, it's definitely, it's different, you know, especially with teenagers, if they're, if they're a high performer, you know, I mean, even if, even if a kid's in, uh, you, I can't tell them, Hey, go out, you know, run, run what feels like marathon pace. Well, of course they've never run a marathon, you know, they need to know kind of what's their frame of reference. And so I always kind of go back to that when I'm trying to explain something or I'm writing a workout, whether it's for an adult or for, you know, a 5k runner, you know, a youth 5k runner in high school, I always think, okay, what's their frame of reference? Cause the description and how I put it out there in the world has to be different. I can't just assume that an eight by 400 workout is going to be the same for a high schooler as it is for, you know, an adult. It's right. just, you have to explain it differently. Well, I, 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 you know, you mentioned going off 5k fill or 10k fill. And even if one thing, you know, even if they have raced that, have they raced it hard? Right. And so their 5k fill where you're expecting it to be this really hard should pace. be hard, right? 5Ks are hard. But maybe they're do just doing turkey trot right. pace. You know what I mean? I, I think about my son, and he used to run cross country, and he'd be at the back chatting it up with somebody. Right. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's not supposed to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> It's fun at the end. When yeah, you, exactly. When you've forgotten about it. How about you, Taylor? Do you use um, perceived exertion and kind of feel it all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, like you were saying – you know, I, I definitely, uh, as a coach and as a coaching group, I mean, we, we lean really heavily on the kind of a metrics based approach, but you know, my, my kind of, you know, saying, I guess, or, you know, the, the point that I always try to make with athletes is, you know, the, the quantitative side of things that the metric side of things is really only as good, you know, as the athlete's ability to, to execute on that, you know, so it, so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, as much as I, you know, really, you know, rely on and, and think, you know, and place a lot of importance on, you know, power-based training or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I really only care, you know, how the athlete feels, right? I mean, it, it really goes back to, uh, okay, great. You know, you did, 
you know, three by 15 at, you know, threshold or something, um, you know, how did that feel? Right. Yeah, you did it, but you know, does it, did it kill you? Right. Can we, can we work out tomorrow, you know, or, or, you know, is it easy? And, you know, does that mean we need to adjust threshold or, or whatever? So, yeah, I mean, I, I lean really heavily. Well, so the new, you know, the new upgrades, uh, or the new additions and in, in train peaks are, are huge. I mean, the RPE and the, the kind of, you know, feeling side of things, you know, before that, up until, you know, last week or whenever, um, you know, I was trying to, uh, I would always, you know, try to capture that in the comments, uh, post-activity comments in, in TP. And I, I really place a tremendous amount of, of importance on kind of the conversation after a workout. Uh, and I really try to to encourage my athletes, um, probably even more than they want to talk to me, but um, to, to just say, you know, how it felt and, you know, what went on and, you know, how they felt mentally um, and physically. You know, I think that kind of mental fatigue, specifically for the athletes that, that I specialize in working with, which are, you know, ultra distance tend to be higher volume. You know, you can only sustain those levels of, of training for certain periods of time. And so that mental fatigue is really important to me. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I definitely want to, to capture that. And, um, you know, so yeah, now with kind of comments and the other two metrics that we have, um, it's, it's a pretty well-rounded picture, you know, and that in comparison to the, to the numbers side of things, um, gets us, you know, gets us a really good window into how things are going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's critical for sure. And, and that's a, that's a piece like, like, like everyone's touched on that, uh, you know, some athletes don't have a good handle on that, you know, for sure. So that's a piece that you, you have to try to, uh, maybe coach them through, you know, like that it's okay for it to, to suck for a little while. And that doesn't mean that it was a 10, um, you know, it, it can, it can be miserable for a second and maybe still just be like a six or a seven. Um, and that's a hard, that's a hard thing for, for some athletes to grasp, you know, because maybe they're not used to pushing themselves or, um, they're not as comfortable with, you know, suffering as we would, we would like them to be, or, 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 you know, maybe they need to be to achieve their goals. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a big piece trying to figure out what their threshold is and, and how that's projected and kind of the, the RPE side of things. Um, so, but, but interesting, you know, nonetheless, I think it's, uh, having those discussions with athletes is often kind of my favorite talks because you kind of get into their head, right. And you start to, to figure out kind of what's going on behind the scenes, uh, which can be a little more telling even than the, you know, just kind of flat power numbers oftentimes. Yeah. I, I'll second that Taylor. I think one of the things, you know, I, I jokingly said a psychological workout yeah. when I bring on a new athlete, but in reality, I want to understand how they perceive their own training. And I really do end up kind of like putting myself in, into what are they thinking? You know, where are they training? How is it, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it is that, you know, when you coach a remote client, you know, it could be, you know, in, in Denver here, it could be cold in winter, but if I'm working with a client, you know, in, in the Southern hemisphere, it could be screaming hot and things like that. And so I think about that, but I also think about, you know, I want to understand them and have them better understand how they, how they think about their training, you know? And so I think as a coach, you know, we don't just coach and say, hit this workout, these paces, and then move on with your day. It's like, you know, how did you feel going into it? How did it feel during, you know, and then what are your takeaways after? Where can you improve? Um, you know, not just from a physical perspective, because I think we always looked at as a physical coach. And I think another part of our job is also 
to get in there mentally. And I think that, um, you know, depending on how we approach things, I think that's a big part of when you choose a coach, like not only do I have, they had good results, but how do they speak to you? Like, what is their approach mentally? And so I think that's, um, I think that's really interesting that we can also coach them to perceive their training differently. If there are people that always see it as a negative, they don't nail it a hundred percent. One thing that I've seen, and I, I, it's kind of over the last years, a few years, it's continuing to grow where it's this reliance on devices and what the numbers are telling you, but sometimes batteries die. Sometimes yeah. it's not calibrated. Feel. That feel thing is, is important because when you're racing, you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to go out and hit 235 and that's going to put me in an X place in my age group. You know, you have to be able to get in there. And if, if someone makes a pass, you're like, oh, I got to get competitive and rely on your training and, ho- and, and know that that's um, going to take you to the finish line where you want to be. You can't just hope that it, it plays out from a numbers perspective the way you hoped. So moving on a little bit here, um, kind of going back to what I, my own experience recently talking about the swimming and previously with the um, cycling and not wearing cycling specific shorts. Let's talk a little bit about equipment. And I know that <laughs> this is something that's really hard for me because I also race. And so you know, sometimes it's hard for me to go back and like th- remember when I first started riding and I was out there in a tank top and gym shorts and shoes on flat pedals and things like that. It's like after a while you lose touch with that. And so when and how do you address that with an athlete? Let's say you take on a new athlete. When do you start talking about equipment choices and um, things along those lines? I think mountain bikers all have the, uh, the same obsession with tire pressure and that's a personal (laughs) pet peeve of mine with athletes I'm coaching or just racing against spend hundreds of dollars a month on a coach and spend 18 hours a week training and go through all this pain and misery and then spend $200 entering a race and you ask them what tire pressure they're running and they say oh no I checked it last week or I just whatever and it's just like they're throwing away their entire race so with mountain bike racers cyclocross racers it's early on that's part of the very little onboarding I do is I ask them about all of the equipment they have and how they set it up. What bikes do you have? If you have multiple, um, how have you got them fit? How do you set up your suspension? How do you set up your tires? Do you use tubulars? Do you use tubeless? Like maybe I'm a little bit obsessive on that side because it's something I know more about, but I ask in-depth questions about that as part of onboarding. How about you, Taylor? Uh, yeah, uh, actually fairly, uh, similar uh, to that, I I uh, am pretty uh, I guess inquisitive. I, I come from uh, specific to the, uh, or maybe more specifically to, to the bike side of things, um, because there you know there's tends to be more gear uh, involved there. Uh, although there's you know a fair amount with you know ultra running and things like that, but um, but but yeah, you know I, I I come from that world and and come from a kind of a bike mechanic background and and. Um, so yeah, I, I also similar to Cody, I'm, I'm just, uh, probably more, um, uh, obsessed, I guess, with, with that and realize, um, how critical it can be to, to, uh, uh, you know, mountain bikers success. Um, and so, yeah, in the kind of onboarding process, we talk a lot about, um, just what they're using, you know, and it, and it, it that's one of the things in, you know, this whole idea of kind of taking things for granted, you know, personally as a coach, you just, you just kind of assume that everybody has their, their system dialed in, right? You're, you're like, well, they, 
you know, here they are, they're talking to me. So they must, they must have it, you know, everything's dialed in with the exception of their, of their physical preparedness or maybe their mental preparedness. Um, and that's just not the case, right? And it, it's everything from, you know, having uh, their computer, their device, you know, synced to, to training peaks to, you know, to, you know, heart rate and power meters uh, and monitors, you know, syncing to the right device at the right time and, and their bikes dialed in and suspension maintenance and, um, or on the road side of things, you know, mechanical maintenance and all of those things, you know, are make or break. Right. And, and like Cody said, you spend all this time and energy preparing and, and thinking about training and, and then you get the, you know, and if your bike doesn't work, uh, then it's all for not, you know, and, and if, as a coach, if you overlook those things and you've, you know, you've wasted your athletes time, um, to a certain extent. So, yeah, the gear side of things is is huge, and it's it's something that um, you know I, I've overlooked before. Again, you know, I, I have to catch myself. S- certainly, with with athletes that I talk to that are clearly coming from an exp- extensive you know training background, uh, I just assume that they're dialed in, um, and and more often than not, they're they're not right. They've just focused on riding a lot. Um, and their, you know, their gear is in disrepair, their stuff doesn't fit, you know, they, they haven't, they haven't had a bike fit in 15 years, although their, you know, their musculature has changed or their range of motion. And, you know, so we, I have to constantly check in or I make sure to constantly check in and just be like, you know, Hey, what's going on? And, you know, tire pressure is a big one. I had, uh, several athletes race Leadville, um, a couple weeks ago and, and yeah, you're like, Hey, let's, let's, like, let's talk about your bike. Like what's, you know, how's your suspension set up? What tire are you running? What tire pressure are you running? Right. What's the rim like, you know, you know, are, are your wheels true? Right. Are your spokes tensioned? Right. Like don't get out there and blow it because you didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't cross off, uh, all these things off the list or kind of mark off these variables. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's massive and it's, uh, it's something that, you know, a lot of folks, we just get busy and we, we get to the task of training and we, we let all the other, uh, things go by the wayside. Um, and as I told Cody before we started, you know, I'm guilty of that as well, right? <laughs> Sometimes I don't, uh, I don't, I don't maintain my brakes like I should, uh, as evident by my last time riding with you, Dave, but, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do make sure my athletes are well taken care of, even though sometimes I ride on the marginal safety level. <laughs> That's right. Do as I do, do as I say, not as I do, right? I'd love to hear what kind of equipment stuff you go over with ultra runners from Andrew and Taylor, just because I don't know anything about ultra running. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think one thing to, to add on to that, Taylor, uh, to your previous discussion was like the assumption of knowledge can like keep me up at night. Like when I'm like, Oh, I didn't tell him this. Like, it's like one of those things your head hits the pillow oh, and you're yeah. like, Oh man, I got it. Like, and that's like, you turn over and you like, you get on your phone you're like, Hey, I just want to like, you know, make, you know, like, you know that this is okay. Like, you know, you have to almost like, okay, I can rest yeah. easier knowing this. And I think that like, when you, when you put that much into the, to the work that you do, like one, it also, you see results from it, but also too, it's like, I hope that athletes see that as well. That's like, oh, that that email came in at eleven thirty at night. Like that must have that did yeah. kept me up that night. You in know, my, in my case, <laughs> um, it's like, a, oh, that email came in at like one thirty at night. Yeah, no, the the number the number of times that happens to me it would astound and astonish most people. Um, I I think about that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Like it, it literally like wakes. Wakes, wakes in the me middle up of a, in like a cold sweat, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh my god, I wonder if he's running 
22 PSI in the front. He should be running, you know, 20, um, you know, and I wonder if he like kept his all mountain tire on and not his like, you know, cross country tire. And, um, he knows, yeah, right? no. And you know, maybe, yeah, no. One of the things that always comes up, like the number one thing, you know, besides nutrition, and we'll leave that for a, a completely different discussion is an entire series. <laughs> seriously. Um, is, is shoes. That's like the number one thing that people want to talk to me about. It's like, you know, so, so what do you think about zero drop shoes? What do you think about these or this specific brand or things like that? And I will always, always, always kind of go back to the idea of what's comfortable, you know, what, what's worked, you know, and that's just the thing is that I think there's, there's a lot of gimmicks in in this, you know, and I, I guess maybe technology is definitely more beneficial, like on a bike, you guys can see a lot more from that, but at the same time too, like it still just has to work. And that's what I always go back to is go with what works. And so, you know, when it, when it comes to like the ultra world of things, I, I want athletes to always make sure that the first and foremost thing is, is comfort and then performance. Um, you know, if it, if it's very, very comfortable, but it, but it, it weighs just a little bit more or something like that. Like, let's go with that because at mile 80, if your feet still feel pretty good, that's probably a good thing, you know, versus like, oh, I saved some grams. It's like, yeah, you did, but now your, your, your feet hurt at mile 60 instead. You know, it's, it, that's a, you know, maybe not the, the ideal example, but it's, it fit and, and, you know, finish are, are, you know, two different things in my world. Fit has to, has to come first. And if it looks good, that, that helps too, right. you know? So along those same lines, um, one thing, like, as everybody's talking here, one thing that keeps coming to my mind is scope of practice. Yeah. And so to play devil's advocate a little bit, you know, like one one thing that I always struggle with is I've I've had it have happened several times where I've encouraged an athlete to spend money on something, and then it stops working, and now I feel like I should be the one that needs you know needs to make that right because I made I talked him into buying it. Um, so I guess at at what point do you think? And maybe the scope of practice doesn't apply here so much, but it will in a moment. Um, when you're talking about buying things, where do you where's does that line fall? Are you just saying, Hey, these are some options that I would, that I would suggest, or are you telling them you need to go get this? Oh, I would definitely, if in, at least in my world, from the, from the running world of things, there's, there are a small handful of things that I think are like required equipment. You know, uh, you know, you go to your kids go to school and it's like, they got to have a backpack. They got to have crayons. It's like, you got to have good fitting shoes, like non-cotton anything if we can, um, and know how to apply lube. That's always like to the body anywhere. Like that's, that's just a good life lesson. <laughs> absolutely. But in, in, in honesty, it's like, uh, you know, it, taking back to an experience, look back a couple of weeks back at Bigfoot 200. And I was, uh, I worked in an aid station at 150 miles in after a really deep water crossing. There's two or three of them on the course. And I get out and people are like, my feet are just, then they're destroyed. I mean, these things are just horror movie specialty, right? Like just not good. And I'm sitting there and I'm working on, on some feet. And I said, so, you know, have you been lubing your feet? And some of them just looked at me like doing what? And I'm like, this is such a, it's such a basic piece of maintenance, right? You guys go back to, it's like, it's like drivetrain maintenance on a bike. It's so basic. And so if something fails there, you're like, this, this is exactly why you're having this problem. This could have been completely avoided either by sock choice or by, you know, using some you know lubricant on your feet to, to prevent that. So it's like, we as coaches have to go back and say, like, do you have a plan for that? You know, it's like you, you might have a nutrition plan. You might have the best race strategy plan, but you forget to lube your feet and they're destroyed, you know, 
three quarters of the way through a 200 mile race, like what, what can you do now? Right. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's so kind of adding on to that because you, somebody did bring up nutrition and we said it could be a whole series. And, and that is one place where I've always kind of drawn the line Yeah, where I will give my thoughts, but I always preface it with, these are just my thoughts. I'm not a registered dietitian, but this is what I say. You know, this is what I do. This is what people have had success with. And so do you, where do you first, um, Andrew, where do you fall with nutrition? You know, I, I'm, I'm one of the same guys that like, I preface that I'm not a nutritionist, um, nor do I pretend to be one. And, and I think that that you can definitely fall into you know, some, some big crags there that you don't want to get into. I personally just say that I'll give you some advice on race day nutrition planning that's worked in the past. And I, and I, I do feel confident with, with race day nutrition, you know, mostly meaning like how many calories should we be taking in per hour and kind of what's a good strategy. Let's look at aid stations, look at other things like that. Like what should we be taking hydration? There's some simple rules that I like to put out there. Um, you know, but when it comes to day-to-day nutrition, you know, like, oh, well, should I be, you know, vegetarian? Should I be ketogenic? Should I be paleo? And you're, you know, it's like, I go back to it, you know, what works? What what has worked for you in the past? Right. And, you know, the past is the best, you know, predictor of our future. Um, but, you know, I think, I think if people are here kind of looking for like little nuggets of knowledge there, like for me, I've always kind of stuck with like a, a pretty simple rule that like for hydration, you know, if you're listening to music, a song ends, take a sip of water. It's some simple things like that to keep you hydrated. Um, you know, l- little things like that, I think are, um, are what, what I give out, but I'm not going to tell you, like, you need to have, you know, you know, four gels at this exact time or, you know, like in this, in this time period or, you know, things like that. It's it's mostly about the prep and saying this is a a guideline that we should try to meet based on your previous results. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a little more strategic rather than prescriptive. Absolutely. And how about you, Taylor? Do you delve into the nutrition Uh, side? Very, very similar to, to Andrew and, uh, and even what you said, Dave, just, you know, I I feel really comfortable and I I do work, um, pretty hands-on with my athletes on kind of the race day strategy side of things. Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time trying to kind of nail down the details during training, um, you know, not obviously using training as an opportunity to, to not only dial in the fitness side of things, but also kind of the, you know, preparation side of things, whether that's, you know, gear, like we were just talking about, you know, dialing that in and, and then also the nutrition piece. Um, and then giving some, some you know, solid guidelines um, about, you know, just kind of basic uh, quantities and, and timing that, that, you know, that I think they should hit that, that have, you know, worked in the past either for them or for athletes that I've had, uh, experience with. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I, I agree. I I think the, the kind of overall nutrition piece, whether that's, you know, your daily nutrition, uh, and then even, you know, what you're taking in during the race, you know, what, what works, you know, are you eat a liquid only? Is it, you know, a gel thing? Do you, you know, eat bacon and peanut butter sandwiches? You know, I mean, all that stuff is fine if it works, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent on board. Um, as long as we're kind of checking the right boxes and, and the athlete stays fueled. Um, and then, yeah, from the, from the kind of daily perspective, I mean, same, same thing. I mean, just you know, if it works for you, that that's fantastic. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot out there to kind of, you know, it's a, it's a muddy space with, with all of these types of approaches and, and, and buzzwords and, you know, diets or whatever you want to call them. And, 
and they, they can all be effective to, to some degree. And, and people, if it works for the, for that person and they've had success, you know, that's awesome. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, encourage a particular approach. I, I want my athletes to be fueled, uh, and I want them to sleep. Right. And if they're doing those things, then, then rock on, like we're, we're doing it right. Um, and you know, kind of what happens, you know, when they're eating and, and sleeping is, you know, is up to them. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I, again, I think, I'm not a new, you know, I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. You know, I have a lot of experience over the years with those concepts, but I'm the first to say like, that's not my wheelhouse. And, you know, I've certainly referred athletes who have struggled with those things to certified individuals who can help them map out, you know, a daily approach to their nutrition. And of course we, we look to see how that impacts their, their physical performance. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm not the one to, to provide that, you know, information because it, it's kind of a, you know, to each his own, you know, I don't think there's a, there's a perfect fit or a, you know, golden solution that that's going to work for every endurance athlete. And I think one, one thing to worth talking about and an interesting question to you, Taylor, is that when you talk to your athletes, um, do you also talk about when nutrition doesn't go right? Cause I think that's a, a huge part of coaching is that we always talk about trying to make everything go perfect. But then like, what do you do if all of a sudden you just throw up everything you've eaten for the last hour? <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, which happens, right. I mean, you know, again, I mean, back to this, just, you know, operating, you know, kind of pulling from, from my experiences specific to uh, working with, with ultra distance athletes. I mean, that's, you know, you start getting into, you know, multi-day events or, you know, 36 hours of activity or whatever it is. And, you know, things go south, you know, your body reacts poorly to, to that level of activity sometimes. And there's no rhyme or reason. And it just, you know, it just things get weird and you have to respond. And um, yeah, you know, we, we do uh, work through those situations, you know, oftentimes they, um, you know, we, we use experiences that the athlete has had in the past to, to kind of um, you know, as a lens through which we can look at how to make things better in the future, right? So, okay, you know, you did this ultra marathon or, you know, you did this stage race or whatever it is. And, you know, this is when things went wrong. And, you know, what did, what did it look like, you know, leading up to that? Are there things that we can adjust, you know? So we, I try to, you know, my, my idea or my goal is always to kind of limit as many variables as possible, right? So, so, you know, we start there and kind of work our way into these scenarios. And then, you know, also, you know, we talked about it and, and, you know, Andrew touched on it. Uh, it was just that kind of mental piece, right? I mean, that's such a big component and that's, that's something that, you know, we often don't, it's not kind of at the forefront of, of what we do as coaches, but just talking through the athlete, you know, or making sure they're prepared mentally to handle a situation like that, because it, 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 it can and will happen. If you enter enough races and you push yourself hard enough things will go sideways um, and you can have the best preparation in the world. And you just have to be mentally uh, able to, to handle those, you know, those, those moments. Um, and so that's, that's my probably biggest, you know, approach uh, or focus with athletes is just making sure that they have the mental tools um, to handle those and that they've been, you know, presented enough opportunities and training that those things don't throw them for, for too much of a loop, right. That they can kind of get past it hopefully and, uh, and move forward. So 
but yeah, you know, things, uh, it's, it's great. It's always, it's easier to talk about things that go right. Right. You, you're like, Oh, the athlete did the race and they finished and they podiumed and every, all the goals were met. And then as we know, like, you know, that's a small percentage of, of the times that, that we, um, you know, embark on these aggressive goals, you know, with, with athletes. So it's, I do try to, to try to bring up the bad stuff yeah, I think, as well. <laughs> I think one thing that really kind of separates, and I guess I'm looking at this from anybody that's listening to this, it's like, Oh, training plan versus coach. It's like every time an athlete finishes something and we have a chance to digest that as coach and athlete, like that becomes a case study in my brain where like, mm-hmm. I've like, Oh, okay, that's a good strategy. That's something that, you know, I can use. And you're just not going to get that from a training plan. Yes. The training may be excellent and perfect in the perfect world, but being able to help an athlete solve those problems and kind of, you know, being along for the ride is what I think is so valuable about, you know, yes, it's, it's dollars per month that you're going to, you're going to spend as, as an athlete, but my goodness, that's, that's where that's, that's the worth it part of it. That's like, that's like the honey at the, you know, right there. You like find that honey pot and you're like, yeah, that's, that's the good stuff. Early in this conversation, we were talking about not making assumptions about what an athlete knows. And I think that can trickle down to the most fundamental nutritional concepts. So early in my coaching career, I worked with a lot of post-collegiate runners and soccer players. So you take a D1, D2 collegiate runner and put them into cycling, they're going to jump straight into pro one, two, maybe even low level professional racing or elite age group triathlon. And so you immediately have this concept that they're an experienced athlete and they know what they're doing. So one of these girls who was a D1 soccer player who jumped straight into, like I said, pro one, two racing and was doing well, we went on a three or four hour ride and I look and I see that she has no bottles on her bike. And so I ask, oh, did you leave your bottles at the last stop? And she goes, no, I didn't bring any. So a cyclist, you know, cycle bikes come with two bottle cages. We get used to drinking a lot. Runners and other athletes don't get used to that. So they get used to training extended periods without even drinking any water, much less eating one to 400 calories an hour. And so if they don't know that, they're going to hit a wall pretty quickly. All the other sport experience or all the training in the world isn't going to overcome acute dehydration. So again, going back to not making assumptions about how much somebody knows as basically as, oh, you need to be drinking a bottle an hour for every ride can help prevent a lot of failure in the future. And so I feel like what we've been talking about is a good segue for kind of this last topic and um, really just race day prep. And I feel like that's that's a lot of where a coach makes their money too, right? Is like a lot of, yes, there's all the preparation, writing a training plan and dealing with things that come up along the way, but it's where the rubber meets the road is really that race day. And that's what the athlete cares about. And so I would say for this, because I, I feel like a lot of times you can, if it's an hour or two hour race, you can get away with a lot of mistakes, but you talked about a long day, right? And like doing ultra events, there's a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong. And so with that new athlete that's expecting this great race and everything to feel great and be perfect, how do you start to address those things and how do you prepare them for what they're about to experience? You just got to be real about it. Like, you know, I think if you, if you paint the picture of rainbows and butterflies all the time, I think it actually goes back even further to, I think race day prep is what did you do leading up to it? And I think that's where I always try to go back with even my younger athletes that, Again, we're talking, they don't have a basis for really a lot of racing and maybe they've had a hard practice and say, you know, that's when I, like last night, you know, we were on the track with the kids and, you know, I said, Hey, like, this is the last rep. This is the last 400 you have to do. At some point you're going to feel like this in your race. 
versus saying, you know, yeah, training's hard, but man, racing's so easy. Like it's, it's really like, it's, it's the expectation that you set and it's kind of how you write your training, I think kind of goes into this as well as like race day prep is also like the expectation that you've been setting the entire time that you've been training with this person and what you've been writing, what you've been talking about. And kind of just hopefully when you come to your race day prep, you know, they're coming to that conversation prepared. And they say, you know, they may even come to you. And my, my, my hope is that I can have an athlete kind of almost come to me and say, here's what I was thinking. What do you think about this? And we can say, I would say, wow, that's wildly inaccurate. Or that's, <laughs> you know, that's, or, or hopefully having them come down and say, you know what, that's, that's kind of the race that we have been talking about you having for the last three months or, you know, however long, you know, we've been prepping for this particular event. And then we go through the finer points about, you know, this is what it's going to look like. This is what, you know, your race day nutrition to feel, you know, and feel like here's what, you know, hopefully by mile 20 in the marathon, you know, you can feel good enough and fueled enough that you'll be able to just really ring it home the last 10 K. And, you know, that's when, when those days go right, you know, that's like, man, we knocked it out. We had that really good race day prep. And it's like, to me, when it comes to race day prep, you should come into that. And my athletes, when I prep them, I'm hoping that they come into that conversation knowing what to expect and that there's no surprises that come up in that conversation. Like, Oh, you expected that. Or you think that, you know, and like if there's raised eyebrows short of, you know, a couple anecdotes, um, then I haven't done my job. That's at least how I feel. And maybe that's, that's, uh, a, a, t- a tough, a tough bar to set, but I hope that when my athletes come into that final bit, that they're, they're very ready and they've been planning this for, you know, a couple of weeks ahead of time and they've been envisioning it and saying, okay, we're ready to, ready to dial this thing in. And how about you, Taylor? Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the biggest, um, piece of that for, for me is, you know, is expectations. And I, you know, it, as much as I am always, you know, a hundred percent invested in, in doing whatever I can do to help my athletes, you know, have a great race. You know, we all know that, um, you know, us here talking, um, that have been in endurance sports for a while that, you know, a race is really just a, you know, it's, it's a blip, you know, kind of in the, in the scheme of, of preparation and focus and, uh, and build up. And, and so, you know, it, it can take, um, it takes time to, to, to get it right. You know, that's, that's a very small window. Um, and so I, I try to be, you know, really upfront and, and realistic and specifically with, you know, with athletes that are, that are, you know, coming to us that are new athletes or, you know, just beginning to work with us. You know, I, I like to, to talk about things uh, in terms of, you know, long-term relationships, right. That if an athlete comes to us and, you know, they're 16 weeks out from their priority race that, you know, we can move in that direction, but, you know, but it's going to take some time. Right. And, and we, I certainly hope that their race goes, you know, according to plan and they have a great, um, a great day, but, but that's just, you know, to hinge everything on one moment, uh, in time or one moment in a season, um, can, can, you know, it's, it's expecting a lot of the athlete, um, and it's expecting a lot of, you know, race day situations and scenarios and all these variables. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, that's, that's kind of, I, I want to, to kind of prepare the athlete. I mean, getting back to that kind of mental piece, like, yes, like let's, let's pour our heart and soul into this race, but let's also make sure that we're being realistic about our goals and let's think 
long term and let's you know let's set some waypoints you know along the way right let's not just think i'm going to be one and done and do this race and i'm going to win it and then i'm going to move on about my day um right that might not be a realistic approach and i see that with a lot of athletes right they'll they'll come to me and we'll chat and they they have this 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 kind of very very near term goal and 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 you know near term approach to to training uh and preparation and working with a coach and for me, you know, that coach athlete relationship is a, is a much longer term uh, thing. And it's something that, you know, I think if invested in uh, can really, you know, is, is much more beneficial over, over time. Um, and so, you know, again, ha- hanging your hat and all of your expectations uh, on one day and one moment in time um, and, and trying to mold something as complex as, as the body and the physiology of, of an athlete, um, you know, sometimes it just takes, uh, takes a couple tries, right, to dial it all in, and you learn from each of those race experiences. You also need that, right? You need that that background, and and like you said, Cody, that kind of case study, right? Like, let's dive in and figure out what's what happened and what's going on, good or bad. You learn from those experiences, and that's what you get with the coach athlete relationship that you don't just get by following, you know, a drag and drop training plan. Um, so uh, that's the important piece for me, right? Is that we are, we're always learning and growing together. Um, and that there's an evolution there to, to, you know, build upon. And Cody, I imagine that when you were training that group of people for the Dirty Kanza, um, I believe there's one guy you were training that showed up the first day, like, wasn't like riding around the world in sandals or something along those <laughs> lines. And so how do you, like somebody like that who probably doesn't have a lot of racing experience, he's going into a tough day. And how did you prep him for that? So he was, he had a former life as a racer close to 20 years ago, but he has since become a professional bike packer, a sandal wearing bike packer. And we did some assessments with him. He was actually testing pretty well, but he had a, physiologically, he looked the strongest, but mentally it looked like he may be the weakest. So that's what we had to address with him was like, okay, these are the parts where it's going to get hard for you. These are the excuses you're probably going to look for to quit. These are the reasons you're going to want to quit. And so be ready for each of these to come up and think about what you're going to do in that situation. So knowing what things are going to get in people's way, whether it is an equipment issue, a mental issue, a physical issue, a weather issue, a chap lips issue, anything like that, like know what is going to affect this person the most and have them ready for that. Yeah, I think I think Taylor hit on one of those was just the idea that as we go through training, we have to test those different parts of, of training, right? Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you bend a paperclip enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break, right? And you, you hope that, you know, your athlete's not a paperclip in one place or another, that, they're, that you're, you're going to use your training. And, and they, if you have one bad training day or you use a specific day, you know, maybe it's a long ride or a long run, you say, I want you to go out and test your nutrition, and they have a bad day. It's like, that's awesome. Like to me as a coach, like that's where like, not that I want my athletes to have a bad day, but I want them to have a failure or, or, or even a perceived failure because that's what's going to allow us to have a, a shifting point, right? That's, that's where things change to, oh, now we're learning something. Now we're getting into the, the part where this is the good stuff again. This goes back to that kind of honeypot idea. Like now we're getting into the good stuff of, of, of where this coach-athlete relationship becomes really strong and we're able to help them, you know, go further. That's like one of those moments. It's like, this is, 
you know, you rationalize your job on, on moments like that. You're like, I, I helped you figure that out. That's awesome. Like you, you celebrate those, those little moments, even if they're failures at first, you can walk away. And I think that's also teaching them that having a bad day isn't always, you know, it, it may be perceived initially when they come to the conversation, oh man, I had the worst day out there. And you're like, well, did you like, how much, how much did, how much knowledge did we walk away with? Whether that's a race or, you know, a training event. Right. And I, I think that's such a good point where it's, I think there's a saying, it's like you either win or learn, Yeah, you know, and it, it's right. Like if everything goes well, you didn't learn anything. It's right. like you had a great day, but when something goes wrong, it's an, it's an opportunity for improvement and learning. And so I think one of the things that I borrowed from um, Joe Frill, and I'm sure other coaches have done it too, is the big day. Like, and I, Joe uses it for Ironman training, but I've used it for Leadville and other things like that too, where it's like, just getting them out there and it's less about the physiology and more about being mentally prepared for yeah. that and being mentally prepared to have your ass in the saddle for that long and right. be uncomfortable and to have things go wrong, you know, and there's so much value in that. And I always talk about, talk to athletes about the mental toolbox. It's like, great. You know, you dealt with that and you came out the other side stronger. And now you've got that when you're suffering in a race, you can go to that mental toolbox and you, that's one more thing to help you yeah. there. Um, so one one last thing I want to ask you guys about, and something else I borrowed from Joe is, um, and I just thought about it as you guys were talking about people going into races and you're losing sleep at night, thinking, "Did we talk about this? That you know, like, did I forget to tell them this, or did they do this? That sort of thing." Um, one thing that I found really helpful is the race plan. So as an athlete starts to taper, I have them sit down and write a race plan. And I want, you know, like you can't over communicate and it, we're starting two days out. What are you going to eat for dinner? When are you going to wake up? What are you having in the morning? And I feel like that really serves two purposes. One, it takes their mind off the taper and the fact that they're starting to feel like they're running through molasses and things like that. But two, it highlights all those things that we may have not talked about right and it's like so i get a chance to read it and as i'm going through it's like ooh, we forgot to talk about this you know and so it's just a good kind of wake up for me as well so that we can address those things before the race before it's too late so do you guys employ any sort of a race plan or anything like that yeah absolutely especially especially the longer the distance goes you know it's more on the you know if it's a mile to 5k event you know it's kind of like break a race down into four acts and you know here's the pacing that we because we, those things are more controlled at the shorter distances but as we go further further and further you know you start to want to i mean i'll start to i, I like to build a spreadsheet and, yeah, i bet you do i'm an engineer you know so that's it's one of the things i like um but you put it all out there and you know not only is it when you're thinking about a hundred mile whether you look at you know um you know i, I just recently crewed for Addie bracy at, at leadville and it's like, not only are you trying to plan when they'll be somewhere, so you make sure that crew gets there, um, you're trying to also make sure that you know what they need to take with them between the next aid station or like even going back a couple more weeks to Bigfoot. It's like they have to plan to get water at streams. Like how, you know, do you take three bottles? Do you take two? Like, you know, there's, it becomes layers upon layers upon layers of different things you have to kind of plan out. And so again, it's kind of one of those things that, depending on the level of athlete you're working with, they may come into that conversation with more knowledge, but they, they're definitely going to leave with some, but you know that you're going to do some education in there. Um, so for me, it's like the longer the distance, the more like, 
I wouldn't say finite the planning becomes because you also have to be prepared for the, you know, throwing up all over your shoes at mile 70. So it's like good plans are, are definitely what we, we try to make and we try to execute them based on our training. Um, but we always have to factor in the idea that you have to go back, like you said, mental to the box. What, what are the basic things that I need to do to sustain me moving forward? And that's like also a critical part of that. So I think the, the planning part of it is, is crucial. Um, but also making sure that they have the tools necessary to, to go on their own, if you, if you will. Taylor, anything to add to that? Um, yeah, you know, I, I'll just go back to that. I mean, the way that I approach it and, you know, we, we go through the, the race day plan and, and, you know, kind of have the athlete, uh, you know, walk themselves through those steps, just like you were talking about Dave, but you know, my, my overarching goal and the way that I always approach it, you know, and I mentioned it earlier is just the, the kind of idea of, of limiting variables, you know, so my, my goal, if it's possible, which, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not necessarily from the athlete's perspective, but, you know, when I think, when I think about my involvement in race day preparation, I want the athlete to be able to show up to race day and just do their sport, right? Just do, like, I don't want them to have to think about, you know, what they're going to eat for breakfast, what time they should wake up, what they pack in their pack, what their tire pressure should be, right? I want to check all those boxes before the gun goes off. Um, so that they can just focus on performance. And I know those things are still going through their mind, but the, the, the objective being that if we can talk about it and if we can talk about it early and often, uh, we can talk about it, you know, in training, like you were saying, Dave, like the big day, you know, like have those, those moments of exposure where, where it, it elicits a conversation. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, in, during the taper, uh, specifically, you know, have those discussions and, um, the hope being that, you know, we can just kind of limit the, the nervous energy and, and the, the potential that that's always there for kind of lack of preparation. Right. You know, again, back to that idea of, you know, you spend so much time and energy in the physical side of things. And then, you know, when it all comes down to it, like, did we forget, you know, did did we not talk about something as silly as, you know, how much, how much you're going to drink, right. Or what are you going to pack or, you know, what's, you know, you didn't bring a toolkit on your bike and, you know, here you are in a backcountry race and you're 80 miles from, you know, where you need to be. And we didn't talk about bringing, you know, a way to get you out of there or something. So, um, yeah, you know, I, again, that's, that's my overarching approach is just to kind of think through every variable, uh, or as many as I can and have those discussions with athletes, um, early and often and in hopes that we can kind of, you know, stave off any, any serious issues, you know, from a lack of unpreparedness. Um, so we're about out of time for today. So, but before we finish, I was just curious if you guys had any parting words of wisdom for people in regards to kind of going back to the beginning, these things that we kind of take for granted. Um, and so I'll start with you, Andrew. Um, you know, I think, uh, the biggest thing is I'll go back to, and maybe this is just the takeaway from our conversation that I think kind of had the most impact for me was we can't assume, you know, whether the, whether on the athlete side, listening to this assumes that we know everything as coaches, cause we we're learning too. We're still in this as, you know, we're, we're all still athletes and we're all still going out and having experiences that, you know, we're going to learn from. So I think there's also kind of setting the tone that I don't know, and I'm going to learn and I'm going to find that out, but also being able to confidently say, Hey, this is, this is what has worked in the past. And developing that trust with that athlete. So I think, I think 
my my closing words on this is just that it's we're all learning we're all human and i think that's what really is exciting about this is that i love the part of my job where i get to be a guide and help people achieve something and that's that's really where the the beauty comes out for me in this in this job and where the reward is um so i i'm excited to continue to see how all this evolves how about you taylor yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I'll, I'll just kind of second that. You know, I think that that's the biggest component for me is to convey to the athletes that I work with that every opportunity is a is a potential uh, for growth. You know, and, and so there's there's no bad experiences. You know, there's no um, you know there, there's no failures. It's just you know as long as as you know, one, there's, there's, uh, an open, you know, line of communication there. I, you know, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing, you know, and Andrew touched on is just don't from the athlete side, you know, don't assume that the coach, you know, it just has a magic eight ball and knows exactly what's going on. Um, and then on the, you know, from, from, you know, our perspective or my perspective as a coach, you know, I have to constantly just kind of, you know, remind myself and, and, check in to say, you know, let's, let's make sure that, that all the pieces are here, right. That, that what I'm thinking is going on is, is actually going on. And, um, and oftentimes within that process, you know, is, is a learning experience. So to just, um, uh, back up what Andrew is saying, you know, I think that's the most exciting part of it for me is that constant growth, you know, every, you know, whether I've worked with athletes for, many, many years or, you know, athletes that I, you know, haven't got the chance to work with yet. There's always new experiences because the hope is that we're, we're constantly out there pushing ourselves. And, you know, with that comes exposure to new scenarios and, and new opportunities for growth. And that's the exciting part, you know, a, a, as a, you know, coach athlete relationship moves forward. It's just that you grow together and, and you learn and you're, you know, you're better for it. One thing I've realized as a less experienced coach that I do too much is when you get a new athlete, you aren't just coaching an earlier version of yourself. So what worked for you or didn't work for you or your strengths or your weaknesses when you were at that point in your career as an athlete isn't necessarily going to work for this person. I think that's the default for a lot of new coaches is to just treat this person the way that you were at that point and train them and coach them the way that worked for you. And you have to be a little bit more willing to be open-minded and treat them a little bit more like a blank slate. And I think for me, it's um, echoing what Andrew said is that <laughs> really, like you said, the, the biggest takeaway and the common thread be through all this has been really can't assume anything. And so every time you take on a new athlete, whether they're new to the sport or they're new to you, it's really addressing all those things and, and don't make any assumptions. Yeah. I think, I think the exciting part of this, this whole conversation is that we all create a different experience. That's really what this is about is that, you know, when, when you come to work with a coach, you know, you can, you can buy a plan anywhere, you know, you can pl print off an eight and a half by 11 and there's, it, it is, it's, and you know, it's, there's an end in sight there. It's very clear. But when you work with a coach, it really opens up a lot of doors to not just them learning about themselves as an athlete, but also themselves as a person. And that goes into a whole nother conversation, right. but this is, uh, this is, this is where the cool stuff happens. I think. Absolutely. Well, thanks everybody for your time. I like really enjoyed this and really appreciate you all taking a time out of your day to, um, talk with us. And, um, 
We'll put your social media links and everything on the um, episode page so that people can follow you and reach out if they have more questions. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was, a, it was fun. Yeah, thank you.